All right, as you saw on the screen there, we are going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning, if you brought your Bible with you. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, focusing mainly on verse 2, but we're going to read verse 1 as well. Uh, So like I said, if you brought your Bible with you, I would encourage you to go ahead and turn there. Mark that, and we will be there shortly. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, it will be on the screen when we get to that point. You can probably also find a Blackview Bible somewhere in your vicinity if you'd like to look in one of those. How many of you have ever been around someone or maybe know someone well who could make you feel better without even really trying to? You know, those kind of people that you're just like in their presence and there's a sense of ease, a sense of peace that comes with just being around them. It's not as if they came to you and intentionally decided you're feeling down, I'm coming to you, I'm going to make you feel better. They might not even know that you're not feeling well or that you're, 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 you're going through something that's causing you some distress. They might not even know that to be the case, yet when you find yourself in their presence, whether they know it or not, there's just something about being around them that puts you at ease, leaves you at peace. Does anybody know anybody or have anybody in their life like that? I don't know a few people that I just can't help but feel differently, just can't help but look at the world better uh, after I've spent a, a few minutes with them, even if it's uh, just enough to hang out a little bit, uh, hear a little bit about their day, hear them tell a joke or something, and then walk out and head to the rest of the world, and there's just a, uh, you know, just this feeling of, okay, it's going to be an okay day. Like, it's going to be okay. It wasn't, I didn't feel great about it so far, but just by being around this person, things seem a little different. And like I said, it can happen by accident. It's not something that they're planning on doing, but something that just kind of happens because it's who they are. If you do know someone like that, or you are friends with someone like that, or you've ever encountered someone like that, I would contend that you have been the beneficiary of this little thing that we call hospitality. We'll get into what that means here in a moment, but many of you conjures up words or conjures up thoughts automatically when you hear that word about what exactly hospitality is, what it means to be hospitable. If there is one segment of the world that ought to be hospitable, it is the church of Jesus Christ. If there is one group of people, one community of people that ought to welcome others in and leave them with that sense of, okay, it's going to be okay. These people, just by being around them, I feel better. If there is one group in the world that has that effect on other people, it should be the church, the bride, the body of Jesus Christ. Over the last several weeks now, we have been talking about what it means to live in such a way that we can ensure the entire community, all of Grandview, that they're loved by Jesus and his church. We want you to know the love of Christ. We want you to grow in the love of Christ, both together and individually, to take one step closer to him every day. And ultimately, our desire for each of us and each of you, as you come into this community, as you grow in Christ, is to eventually show that love back to others. And so we're back again to this idea of showing the love of Christ to others. And one way we can ensure everyone in Grandview knows that they're loved by Jesus and his church is to show hospitality, showing love by showing hospitality. On the flip side of that, one sure way to defeat our purpose, one sure way to um, not ensure or to ensure that the community as a whole or the world as a whole does not know that Christ and his church loves them, one sure way to do that is to lack hospitality to lack an obvious expression of love to those around us and instead just go about our own business or maybe even present the exact opposite, a nature of condemnation 
or a lack of love. And so this morning, as we think about hospitality, as we think about showing love to others, I want to encourage you to do this, to make people feel special because they are. Now, I know that might sound a little new age to you. Everybody's special. Everyone's a snowflake. That's not at all what I'm going at. Instead, I'm going to found this within a biblical framework that all of us are indeed created by God, are therefore special, are therefore uh, not worthy of Christ's blood, but yet he decided to do that for us anyway, for each and every single person on the planet. And so we, too, ought to treat people with the same sense of respect, love, as if they are special, as if they are important, because they are. Again, we're going to look at the author, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews uh, to kind of set this in, in context and, and try to dig out what the author is explaining there. But before we dive into Hebrews 13, let's go to God one more time in prayer. Father, once again, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, for the opportunity to sing praises to you, for the opportunity to have your word laid out in front of us in your Bible, up on a screen, spoken out loud. God, to hear your truth. God, we thank you for that awesome opportunity that we have. God, as we engage your word and as we engage your truth, God, I ask that you be at work through your Holy Spirit, speaking to our spirit, God, and wreaking transformation in our heart and in the way that we live so that we might be different through encountering you. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Again, Hebrews chapter 13, verses one through two. The author of Hebrews writes these words. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, the main argument of Hebrews uh, which is essentially to stand fast in Christ, not give up, to not turn your back on the one true hope. And we ought to do that because Christ is supreme, uh, being greater than anything that has come before him, uh, and, and, and his kingdom will never fail. That main argument has basically been concluded at the end of chapter 12. And in chapter 13, we have kind of a, an appendix uh, along with a farewell, if you will. Uh, it's almost like the book of Proverbs in some regards, and that the author of Hebrews, and many of the New Testament epistles are this way, uh, that at the end of the letter, they will have several um, imperatives. Do this, don't do this, remember this, uh, you know, this person is coming to you. They'll have several last-like instructions that they want to give to the people to whom they're writing, and the author of Hebrews is no different. He's finished up his main argument. He's about to say his goodbyes, but before he does, he's got a few little things that he wants to pass along. And that's where we find this instruction to be hospitable. Now, being hospitable, this isn't the only place that it talks about that. Of course, you can take the, the, um, like the concept or the principle behind it, and you can find that many places within Scripture. But even the word itself is found elsewhere in Scripture. Paul uses it a couple places in both 1 Timothy 3 and again in Titus 1 uh, as being uh, parts of the qualifications of an elder or an overseer, uh, someone who would lead out in the church. They were supposed to be hospitable. It's the same Greek word there. So this is not a foreign concept uh, in the New Testament. Uh, this is something that all leaders ought to have. And of course, again, here in the book of Hebrews, that all of us ought to show in some degree. Now, I brought up the Greek word, and I don't do this all the time, but I think it's important in this case. The Greek word for hospitality is 
Philozenia, which is philo, like P-H-I-L-O, and then xenia, Z-E, not Z, X-E-N-I-A. Um, and what that means, if you break it down, is basically a love of strangers. Philo means love, xenia means strangers. Uh, and so what Paul, or not what, what the author of Hebrews is talking about is this idea of not just being welcoming to people, uh, not just entertaining people well, but actually having a love for, a care for, a regard for strangers, a regard for other people. This would be people that you don't necessarily know. It could be someone you know, but it could also be someone that is maybe in your community of faith that you aren't that familiar with, or maybe someone that is even outside of your community of faith, someone that is a complete stranger to you. And so the author of Hebrews there encourages this sort of love of strangers, to actually love and care for people who are different or are outside and welcome them into the community. In a world of xenophobia, and this is the reason why I wanted to throw the word out to you, in the world of xenophobia, we need more people who are full of philoxenia. We need us, we need to be a people who are full of philoxenia. Now, now, with some of the first several times I heard the word xenophobia used, I thought, what in the world is that? That's some kind of phobia. Many of you probably know what that is. I don't want to insult your intelligence or anything like that, but just to make sure we're all on the same page here, xenophobia is a fear of strangers, a fear of the outside world, a fear of things that are different, things that are strange, things that are, again, outside our regular sphere of influence and the way that we live in the world, things that are different, things that are strange. And so in our world, it is very common, especially for those of us who live in a, in a wealthy society, to, to have this fear. So maybe this be one of our biggest fears, that the fear of change. Anybody identify with that one? Come on, this is a Baptist church. I know there are some folks that have a fear of change. I don't know what the phobia is there, but again, it's this idea of fear of things that are different, fear of things that are strange. And again, you can look at the world and you can say, well, I have good reason to have that fear. Remember September 11th? Uh, remember all the random terrorist attacks that have happened since? Uh, remember what happens when this group does that or, or this group that does, uh, this, you know, comes in and, and infiltrates and, 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 and tries to change our society and, and we see the world kind of crumbling, we see Christendom kind of crumbling. That's from the outside. I don't think that's what's actually happening, but that's what's often portrayed in the media. And so we see that and we think, well, uh, we ought to be afraid of things that are different. We ought to be afraid of things that are on the outside. But what we see in the New Testament is a completely different approach. If anyone had reason to fear what was different or what was on the outside, it was the first century church. It was this group of men and women that took the gospel message of Christ to the uttermost parts of the earth as far as they could anyway, going on mission for Christ. Now, and, and, and doing so in such a way that both the people who they thought they belonged to, the Jewish people, wanted them to go away, and the people that they were going to, the Gentiles who did not know the truth of Christ, especially in the Roman world, also wanted them to go away. Sometimes so desperately wanted them to go away that they would make them go away, literally, by taking them out. 
This is the world that the author of Hebrews is writing in. This is why in the, in, in the book of Hebrews, the author is so insistent about standing fast because they had a good reason, at least from a worldly perspective, to walk away from the faith because it was difficult to go back to the way things used to be because that way they wouldn't have to worry about the Jewish people coming after them and, 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 and trying to hurt them or trying to wipe them out, nor would they have to worry about those that were in the outside world trying to come and get them if they just went back to what is comfortable because they were fearful of the outside world. We don't know in our world today, in the American 21st century world, we don't know what it is like to live in that kind of culture. There are peoples, there are churches, there are local churches in our world that understand what it means to live under that threat, but we personally don't know what that means, yet we also fear the outside because we really love what we have and we don't want it to change. And again, there's nothing wrong with that sentiment. Nothing wrong with loving what you have, wanting to keep what you have going, but if it results in shutting ourselves off to the outside, then that is not a Christ-like action. Because what the author of Hebrews encourages us to do is to be loving of strangers, to be hospitable. In contemporary English, this word is used usually in the context of entertaining a guest at one's home. Right, You show hospitality by opening up your home, putting out a good spread, inviting some people over, letting them hang out until it's time to bed, and then trying to find a nice way to tell them to go home. Right? Can I get an amen from anybody? Uh, by the way, if you have little kids, it's always a great thing. Like, oh, I think it's their bedtime. You know? Now, if any of y'all are ever over at the house and I say it's their bedtime, you're going to know what I'm talking about. But this is what hospitality usually means for us in the 21st century, is that well, it's just let somebody come over, be nice, cook some good food hang out a while. If you really like them, make dessert. And then that's it. That's, that's the end of your hospitality. It was something altogether different, though, in the first century world. But even beyond like what we normally understand it is, we have this whole thing called a hospitality industry in our world today. Uh, the hotel industry, uh, convenience stores, you know, anything where you can stop and take, take a load off or take a rest. Uh, there's this whole like uh, economic system and, and capitalistic structure built around this idea of hospitality. But again, in the first century world, in the ancient world, hospitality wasn't a luxury. Especially for those in the church, it was more often than not a necessity. Imagine being like Paul or some of the other missionaries that travel throughout the Roman world. Imagine going into strange places full of incredibly pagan cultures, pagan beliefs, pagan practices, and not knowing where you're going to sleep that night. It's not as if there was a holiday inn on every corner. Now, those inns, there may have been some, but even when there was a place to stay, it was often full of the very culture that they were trying to avoid, like sinful in a way that, that we just don't get our minds around in our world today, sinful like we would think of Las Vegas at its worst. When they would go into that culture, they wouldn't have a, a safe place to go. And so if there was a Christian brother or sister in that town, they would invite them in and provide them a safe spot to rest, to refuel, to, to, to spend some time in the company of other believers so that, as we talked about at the outset, they might leave feeling a little better, being at peace. It wasn't just about entertaining. In some cases, it was about survival or at least, maybe not survival in the sense of life or death, 
but survival in the sense of I can make it through this day if I have this person that will let me enter into their space and live comfortably for a moment. True hospitality, then, means caring for others' well-being, not merely providing a fun evening. The biblical idea of hospitality means caring for someone. Again, if you take the word, it is a love of strangers, a love of others. And it's an example of brotherly love. It's the reason why we set it in context with reading verse 1. The author of Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. The Greek words for brotherly love, which is Philadelphia and hospitality, contain that same root of philo, or friendly love. And so we see in verse 2, it's a continuation of the first piece of advice in verse 1. And really, you can connect verse 3, which is about being kind to those who are in prison. You can connect that to the same thing of showing brotherly love to those around us. Hospitality is our one of our ways to show love to the rest of the world. And then he throws in, I can't imagine reading this for the first time. Um, this is one of those passages that are often quoted like much of the New Testament, and we just get so used to hearing, and you don't, you don't stop and like let it actually hit you. If this was being read out loud with a church or someone was reading over it after receiving it from whoever carried the letter to them, and reading these words, they're, okay, you know, show brotherly love, let brotherly love continue, be hospitable. Yes, we should show hospitality. And then there's this weird phrase, for some have entertained angels unawares. Okay, now imagine reading through that the first time. Some have entertained angels unawares. You know, I heard a lot of stories as a kid of, of you never know who you're serving. Uh, you never know who's watching. Uh, whenever you, you see someone in need, you, you never really know who that person is based on this verse. They might be entertaining angels unawares. There might be an angel in disguise, we might put it in our pop culture language. But it's a biblical illusion pointing us, illusion with an A. It's pointing us towards something else, towards a story that all of the people here that the book of Hebrews is addressed to probably knew what the author was talking about. In Genesis 18, there is this story of, of Abraham just outside hanging out one day, and he sees three men walk up, and they take rest. They take a moment to sit under a tree, under an oak tree. Uh, and Abraham goes up to them and says, hey, guys, I want you to, to come, uh, and, and I'm going to kill a calf, and, and we're going to have a meal. And, and if you know, like, the setting of that story, that's where Abraham gets reminded of the promise of Isaac that is to come to he and his wife, Sarah. Uh, the angels have some business that they're about to go take care of, not great business in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. But they stop for a moment, and they rest because Abraham provided them that opportunity. And it's these three men. Abraham catches on pretty quick that there's something different about them, maybe even knowing from the beginning. I would encourage you to go back and read this passage in Genesis 18 on your free time, and you'll see, the, again, the way he seemed to get it pretty quickly. But it is these men are actually messengers from God. Maybe even some would argue one of them being the, the pre-existent appearance of Jesus Christ, which sometimes seems to happen in the Old Testament. This messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, this character is often called in the Old Testament. And this isn't the only case where this happens. A couple of other Old Testament allusions that the author could be referring to, or a couple in the book of Judges anyway. In Judges 13, Manoah, Samson's father, has a similar interaction with some men who turn out to be angelic. And the same with Gideon in Judges 6. 
Uh, they don't figure it out as quickly as Abraham seems to in Genesis 18. And so there is an, an idea within the people of faith to which the author of Hebrews is writing that sometimes angels, the messengers of the Lord, which is what the word angel means, essentially they just kind of show up in human form. And there were several examples in the Old Testament of people not knowing it, not realizing who they were. And out of the generosity of their own heart, they showed hospitality to these men before they knew who they were. And so I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and try to convince you that uh, like you might you know, run into an angel needing help someday. I'm not going to rule that out necessarily either, but that's not at all what I'm arguing. What I'm instead, and what I believe the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us, is that we should treat everyone as, as if they were one of God's angels. To treat everyone as if they were special as if they were important, as if they had the fingerprint of God upon them, because they do. We should treat everyone as if they were sent by the king himself. Again, you kind of see this as you read through those examples, Judges 13, Genesis 18, Judges 6. You kind of see when they finally, when these men finally figure out who, that these are actual angels, these are actual messengers from God, it's like, okay, we need to like amp up the party a little bit. We need, to, we need to take another step. We need to do a little bit more because these people are important. These people are special. In the same way, when we entertain, when we are hospitable towards others, we ought to treat them with the same level of respect and dignity because guess what? They were, as we talked about several weeks ago, fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in their mother's womb, and they were taken together by God through this entire life to end up right at your doorstep where you have an opportunity to serve them. They were sent, therefore, by God so that you have that opportunity. <coughs> Treat everyone as if they were sent by God. <coughs> Imagine that. Someone knocking on your door, talking about how they broke down. You know, their car is... Um, unable to work, uh, they can't figure out what to do. Uh, this doesn't happen as much because of cell phones and stuff today, but they need to borrow your phone or, or they need to hang out for a little bit before someone comes and picks them up. And, and you know, you're, 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 you're xenophobic, you're fearful of the outside world. And, and so your first response is, well, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I have, there's so many people that have told me from a very young age not to talk to strangers, uh, not to trust you, not to let you in, uh, you know, not to do anything like that, certainly not to show hospitality. But then imagine if that person said, um, I happen to be in uh, a secret service motorcade, uh, you know, we're with the president, we're trying to get from point A to point B, and he, he you know, he pulled out a little thing and showed you his bona fides. Now, now don't let the metaphor fool you, okay? I know that if it, was, if it was the president, they would figure out a way besides going to your house. So don't get too deeply involved in the metaphor, but imagine if you figured out that that person were important, they were a celebrity, you know, they were, they were a musician, they were someone with some value, Imagine that for a moment. How would you respond in that situation? How would you, would you treat them? If I knew that it was, that it was like an, an, an emissary of our government, of our president, or if it was some person I really respected in the world, like my favorite preacher or something like that, then I would 
I would say, come in, take it easy. I'm going to turn the air conditioner up a notch, uh, kick up your feet. I'm going to get some coffee going, and I'm going to do the slow stuff so that it tastes good, not the quick stuff just because I want you in and out. And if you're going to stay long enough, then, then maybe we could have some dinner. And, and since you're here, I have some friends that would really love to meet you. Can I, can I invite them over and, and you hang out a while? Can we, can we get your autograph? Can we take a picture and post it on social media? Can we, can we just spend some time together and treat them as if they were important? Imagine that a group of people in the world who treated others as if they were important. Not because we want to convince people that we're awesome, but because we want to convince people that they are loved by Jesus and his church, that we indeed do care about them, not because it helps our numbers, not because it makes us feel better, but because they are indeed special. In showing hospitality to people, you are providing a practical example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it for a moment. Hospitality is undeserved. If I invite you over to my place to enjoy a night together, you don't deserve that. You didn't do anything to earn that. I'm doing that out of the goodness of my heart. In the same way that the grace of Jesus Christ is undeserved, hospitality is undeserved. Hospitality is other-centered. How do I know that? Because, again, just talking about our regular cultural experience of hospitality, if you have someone over and you do a meal for them, if you're the hospitable top and they get up and they say, I'll help you wash dishes, you say what? No, we can do that later, after you go home. And so I'm going to spend time with you, and then I'll worry about all the work that I have to do later because I want to show you hospitality. It is other-centered. The love of Jesus Christ is other-centered. Being willing to take the cost upon oneself so that you can show kindness and love to others. And hospitality done right is extravagant. (coughs) Maybe you grew up in a house where you entertained a lot where your parents had folks over every Sunday afternoon. And if you were anything like me, you looked forward to those nights because that's when you knew mom was going to get out the good dishes, the good silverware, cook the good stuff. Like that one dessert that she knew would just slay everybody, that everybody loved, that never got a negative review, she would cook that every time somebody came over and it just so happened to be your favorite dessert. And you knew that that was the one time you could count on it, right? Uh, you might not get it just on a regular Monday, but if somebody was coming over Monday, especially if it was an important person coming over on Monday, you knew it was going to be a fun night because there is something extravagant about hospitality, about rolling out the red carpet. <coughs> Think about hospitality back in the Old Testament times. Again, I encourage you to read Genesis 18 and see Abraham's hospitality It wasn't like he could swing open the big freezer in the garage and pull out some meat and and, and defrost it real quick or, you know, that he happened to have some chicken chilling in the refrigerator. It wasn't that quick. You know, it was go kill a calf and then we're going to cook it. So you knew it was kind of an all-day affair. It, It took some expense on their own part. It was an extravagant thing. You didn't do it often. As a matter of fact, in that world, they didn't eat meat very regularly at all. Usually it was just for special observances and special sacrifices. To do that for a stranger then, for no other reason than you wanted to provide a safe, comfortable, enjoyable experience for someone else that was extravagant. And I can't think of anything more extravagant in the world than the gospel of Jesus Christ, than a Savior 
who loves us to the point to die for us, a Savior who by our own sinful choices all of us have rejected. Not only does he give us eternal life, he gives us abundant life here. Not only does he rescue us from sin, but he guarantees us an eternity in heaven. Uh, Not only does he spare us eternally, but temporarily he gives us a purpose and a meaning in this life on this planet. He gives us community instead of leaving us alone. The gospel is represented by extravagant hospitality. In showing hospitality, you are providing a practical example of the gospel. And so let me encourage you in the days to come, three ways to show someone hospitality. The first is the one you would think of the most quickly. Open up your home. Have people over. Again, I I said that culturally, this is the most common expression of hospitality. However, we do it less and less. Uh, Part of that is because we're so busy. Part of that is because, just to be perfectly honest, we're more xenophobic. We're afraid of people. Uh, We like to stay in our our little categories, our little group of friends, and inviting other people into that can be discomforting, can be fearful, a fear-inducing, I should say. So I'm encouraging you to, to open yourself up, to open up your home, open up your time. Uh, be willing to go have coffee with someone or, or to spend time with someone, to just hang out with someone and actually listen and respond, hear what's going on in their life, and then open yourself as well. Be vulnerable. Be real with other people. This could mean a number of things, whether it's helping someone out financially in a time of need, being there for someone in a moment of crisis when they just need someone to listen, showing love to others, especially to strangers. With whom in the world would you be most excited to share a meal? You know that old question. That's one of those questions people love at dinner parties or at interviews. Name one person, dead or alive, that you could have supper with, and you can't say Jesus. That's always the Christian reminder, right? Anybody besides Jesus, who would you want to spend an afternoon or an evening with? One person that comes to your mind. I remember asking this in a, in a church one time. I think it was uh, a Valentine's banquet we did. Uh, we, we were trying to get, it was like a newlywed game. We were trying to get couples to see if they could guess each other's answers. And uh, we didn't say, don't say Jesus. And so everybody in the panel said Jesus, except for this one couple. Uh, and I, I, I value their vulnerability and their honesty. We're still friends with this couple because they were just real. One of them said, Patsy Klein and the other one said Jimmy Buffett. And they each guessed it, like they each knew each other's you know, truth, their reality. So I'm asking you like, to, to put down the facade in your own mind and, and like really who, if you could have over one night just to hang out with, who would that one person be? How would you go about preparing? If you knew them really well, you might know what food to make. You might know what music to play. Uh, you might know what kind of ambiance to try to create. Whenever you have that in your mind, that's your bar. That's your standard. That's the kind of love you ought to be willing to show to anyone whom God puts in your path. The only thing that makes that person that came to your mind more worthy of your love is your limited perspective. It is nothing about them. It is something about us. Make people feel special because they are created in the image of the one true God who although our works are filthy like rags and we are unworthy of being saved, Jesus decided that we were worthy and got on the cross and gave himself for us. That love is extravagant. 
That love is other-centered. You and I have been invited into that love. And because of that love, we have an eternity in heaven guaranteed for us. And even today, we have an abundant life in front of us, laid out for us, a community to be a part of, a purpose to live because of this love of Christ. Are we willing to show that love to others, to be hospitable? There are things in this world of which we are afraid, with good reason, but that never, ever, ever in the New Testament gave us, gave the people, gave the church of Jesus Christ an excuse to not take the gospel out, to not take the love of Christ out, to not invite others, even the least of these, even the scary ones of these. Paul himself would have been the foremost to not invite them in. Imagine those who invited Paul in for the first time, this murder of Christians, they showed him hospitality because the love of Christ compelled them to. May we be compelled in the same way. May we show the love of Christ so that we can let everyone around us know that they're loved by Jesus and his church. May we do it extravagantly. May we do it continually. May we do it with abandon and recklessly, not caring for our own safety, but rather for the love, for the, for the future of the church, for the future of those people that we're trying to love. May we be compelled by the mission of Christ so that our first response is one of love. That's what it means to show hospitality. Show hospitality. Treat others as if they are special because they are to God, so they ought to be to us. During our time of invitation this morning, two things. One, I would like to tell you if you do not know the love of Christ, you are created in God's image Not only that, after he created you and you rejected him, he died for you in order to reunite you with Christ and reconcile from what you yourself turn your back on. And if you want to know how this guy considered you special enough to die for you so that you might live now and for eternity, I would love to tell you about what that looks like. This is your first time to experience that. I would like to have that conversation with you this morning. And Daniel will be at the back. You can have that with him there. You can talk to us after the service as well. And for those of you who do have a saving relationship with Christ, May I encourage you to think through right now someone to which you could show hospitality in the week to come. Allow God to lay at least one person on your heart so that you might show love to others and treat them as the special creation, son and daughter of God that they indeed are. That's what I encourage you to think about, pray about. Like I said, I'll be down here. Daniel will be at the back. You can meet with either one of us after the service as well. Let's stand together. I'm gonna pray. Bill and Lynn are gonna lead us in a song of invitation. And then once again, I encourage you to move in whatever way God is calling you to.